Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. We'd like to welcome everyone to uh, this morning's uh, Morning with Joel CRE podcast. We're here and we're very excited to have as a special guest today, Edward Bocchetti. And uh, is that close enough? You got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we appreciate that, Ed. Ed is uh, so exciting to have you here today. If you can, individuals, just as you come in, our guests, uh, please remember to mute yourself. Um, matter of fact, I meant to put that setting on. So give me one second here. Uh, or Chai, if you can do that while I'm trying to get going here, I would appreciate that. But if you can, please remember to mute yourself when you come in as we are recording. So Edward, uh, I wanted to have you on. You know, we, we got a chance to speak, um, I think it was back in April uh, here in Atlanta. You know, you've been running, I've been running, and there's been a lot going on. Uh, we even talked about a project uh, that we were working on uh, in another state. It's uh, really exciting to have you here. I'm glad you called out a little bit of time to be with us today. Uh, as Joel is glad to be here. I think you've run a really good program, and I'm just anxious to talk to your audience and see if we can help further uh, educate our constituents on tokenized assets, especially as it relates to real estate. Yeah, yeah. No, I greatly appreciate that. This is an exciting space, um, and a lot of uh, new revelations are, are coming to bear as to what this is all about. Um, I first heard about it actually in Singapore some time ago, and um, what's going on is really exciting. So if you can, just in brevity, uh, tell me what is Red Swan? What is this all about, the tokenization of, of commercial real estate assets? Absolutely. Uh, Red Swan is a marketplace of uh, digital real estate shares for commercial real estate. Uh, we have really a, a database of two-sided database. One is to really aggregate commercial real estate has been put on chain. And then also all the data that, rely, that revolves around that real estate in terms of uh, productivity, uh, as well as uh, a database of investors who have been vetted uh, here in the United States have the accredited investors, but overseas we vet the investors, but they are on, on our user base to uh, also invest in commercial real estate has been digitized. Gotcha, gotcha. And when you say the chain, just for the sake of our audience, what is the chain and uh, exactly, you know, I know what it means, but the, the le- just explain it if you can all that. Yeah, you know, yeah. All that works. Mm-hmm. yeah, that just means moving commercial real estate and assets onto the blockchain uh, to put them in a more digital format. Uh, as you know, we buy and sell commodities as well as real estate uh, with PDF documents to show ownership. With the blockchain now, you digitize that ownership and put it on the blockchain. So now it's on a public ledger in which you can use to advance you know, trading, uh, selling, getting liquidity, raising capital, uh, many use cases for putting assets like commercial real estate on the blockchain. Gotcha, gotcha. And what really is the advantage of the blockchain? You know, why would anyone even want to look at this or investigate what the blockchain is all about? Well, for real estate, it's a huge advantage because real estate has been an illiquid marketplace for many for, since the existence. And uh, because of that, it really excludes a lot of people from participating. Uh, you think about uh, the average investor who wants to get into real estate, the cost is somewhere between half a million to 
when you start getting to high quality properties, you could be as, as much as $2 million as a minimum investment, mm-hmm. which really puts many people at a pause to jump in just because they don't want to tie that much capital up. And that's the second reason is that being illiquid, you really can't get out of that investment until that asset is actually sold. Uh, and that could be 5, 10, 15 years down the road. That's another reason why people kind of shy away from investing in commercial real estate um, because they don't want to tie their capital up too long and they don't want to tie too much capital up. On the other hand, when you look at some of the sponsors in real estate, they're pretty wealthy people and they can you know, a lot of times keep their equity tied into an asset until they dispose of it. But they have a tendency to buy, hold, or build and hold and then flip uh, when they have a price point they can get out and, and achieve the uh, yields they're looking for. But that be- requires them to dispose of the asset. And sometimes you know it's better to hold on to an asset you can and just pull your equity out as opposed to dispose of that you know, asset that's, that's income producing in order to just get some liquid, liquid, liquid liquidity on that uh, investment. So the blockchain will help them to raise capital, maintain their position as a GP, which is the general partnership that actually controls and manages the property uh, and also shares in the upside without having to liquidate the asset and go look for something else to buy, which is typically the process for commercial real estate. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So now there's two parts to this because you you still have the blockchain. And, and one thing that's powerful about the blockchain is the ability to secure that asset and no one can change that particular ledger. You mind speaking to that just so briefly? Yeah, blockchain is immutable, so it means that uh, people cannot make changes to the blockchain arbitrarily. Uh, There's a process of which changing from one block to the next. There's a verification process to make sure that uh, it's not being tampered or no illegal people are hacking into your system to steal your assets. That can be done on a a cryptocurrency basis. People may hack into your wallet or steal your password. But when you talk about digital securities, uh, that's not possible because any if even if someone did take your wallet with your shares, your shares of security assets in there, we can always burn those security tokens and reissue because we know that they're in your name, it's on the blockchain, and you're on the cap table. Okay. Right. Yes, absolutely. So that, that's very important. And then the other side of it, just to be clear, uh, let's say for an example, you had an individual that invested, let's say, half a million dollars to use your example in real estate. And if they just did it through traditional means, that half a million dollars might be tied up three years, five years, seven years, have a period of time. But the methodology that you're using by tokenization, let's say if I need 300,000 of that back in order to do something else, how is what you've created here of value to me in that particular situation? That's exactly why this has been created because it gives you more flexibility, uh, allows you to be able to sell some or all the shares that you own by putting it on a secondary market, which means that you basically elect to sell some shares, you notify us, we put on the secondary market, and now it's, there is a bid and ask for the shares that you have, and you can liquidate part or all of the shares that you own. You also can get very, you start using strategies where you might start to buy shares and then sell shares at appropriate time and start trading, especially in assets that you're very familiar with, just like you would stocks and bonds. Gotcha, gotcha. How, how large is the secondary market for commercial real estate tokenized assets at this point? It's so not it's relatively new. Yeah. Yeah. It's a new, it's a new environment. And so it's kind of like you look at uh, cryptocurrency and, you know, 10 years ago, how large was that market? It was kind of nascent. But as people start to get involved in it and start buying, it starts growing. As you saw 
cryptocurrency kind of topped out last year over $3 trillion. So, you know, people like us who are in the tokenization market, we're adding properties to the blockchain. So as we continue to add billions of dollars to the blockchain, we're now going to be into the trillions of dollars, which now creates that secondary market activity because people may have, you know, some uh, some event in their life where they need to liquidate some assets and therefore they're going to put them on the secondary market. But right now it's it's, it's kind of light, uh, but there are trades being taken place. If you look at like T-Zero and some of the exchanges out there, there are trades of uh, real estate secondary activity. But as we continue to be successful in bringing, you know, billions of dollars on chain, I think you're going to see a, a major change in that regard. Gotcha, gotcha. So tell, give us a little background. Um, you, you didn't officially introduce yourself as... CEO of the company, but if, if you could just give us a little background as to how you got here, because, you know, what I've found over the years is a lot of tech individuals, they come from the tech space and they're trying to learn real estate or they don't understand real estate at all, you know, but they get into a particular area where they think they can be disruptive. They have some technology and so they step in. You're a little bit different because you're not a newbie to real estate, if you don't mind. So give us a little bit about your, your background and, and how you got here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm the CEO, founder and CEO of Red Swan CRE. And we got here uh, because I was in commercial real estate for a number of years. Uh, I started in 2000 and I uh, was with Colliers International uh, in the multifamily division and then moved on to Cushman Wakefield as their executive director for capital markets multifamily. Uh, I did that for 17 years. So I had a pretty good uh, background with you know very large uh, commercial real estate type transactions and saw many of the major players in the market and the process, right? So you learn a lot when you start talking about capital markets and how uh, you know commercial real estate has moved. But prior to that, I was uh, also an entrepreneur, one that gets pretty bored with certain industries. So I would keep trying to figure out how to evolve and, and get ahead of the market. So before real estate, I was involved in, in, in um, the automotive space and uh, built that from one store into seven locations in the Northern Bay Area location marketplace. And from there, you know, like I said, we sold that business off and merged into the technology aspect of the automotive sector by creating a website that actually helps to create that parts a procurement process much more efficiently for uh, body shop owners. And that company was actually venture backed. Uh, we raised about $95 million back then in 2000, in actually 1999. And uh, when I exited that property, I went into real estate uh, because I thought it would be a very interesting field for me to learn. And as I progressed in real estate, I could start seeing the industry starting to consolidate, more people coming in, more teams developing, more struggle to generate your fees because there are more people to compete with. And I decided I need to do something different because this was going to be a declining market for myself. I mean, others may have been doing well, but for me, I saw the decline starting to take place in terms of productivity. And so I was looking for other options. And one of my um, friends told me to go to uh, a conference, a blockchain conference in, in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. And I, I followed his advice, even though I was very reluctant. I had no idea what blockchain was. He said, you need, <laughs> you need to go check this out. I said, Curtis, I feeling. <laughs> no time for blockchain. Uh, but he said, I think knowing you, you're going to like it. You're going to love it. To trust me, just go. So I decided to go to this conference and I was really blown away by the use of blockchain technology. And, you know, many people were looking at it in terms of Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies out there. But I was actually spending time at the exhibits 
seeing how people are using the actual technology for different uh, use cases. And that's what got me excited because I started thinking about you know, capital markets and how you can raise capital with uh, this type of technology. And so I actually met uh, my co-founder at that conference. They, they, were, they had done some ICOs in real estate and they were looking for the new solution for real estate ICOs. And we bumped into each other and we had a dinner and we decided, hey, this might be a good move to partner. I figured they had good experience in technology. I understood the real estate side. And we started, we started uh, Red Swan, the blockchain company at that point. So that, that's really what kicked this off. And, you know, you sometimes have to take a leap of faith that you know where you're going and you know what you're doing. And then when I saw that the SEC came out about four months later and ratified that uh, security tokens were now legalized and ICOs were now banned, uh, that was just the justification I needed to get my license and get busy and get ahead of the curve. So that's what we did. Gotcha, gotcha. An ICO for, for defining our terms for our audience. What's an ICO? Uh, initial coin offerings. We had a lot of cryptocurrencies just entering the marketplace on business plans, raising capital, uh, and some of that was uh, without basis. And so uh, that's why it was banned. And, you know, when we now working with security tokens, we're actually raising capital, but we're using, you know, real assets, you know, that people are buying into that are digitized as opposed to assets and non-digitized. Right. Don't have backing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So explain to me what would be an ideal uh, situation uh, for your platform. What's an ideal asset to, to tokenize and, and digitize and put out there in the securities market from a digital standpoint? We want the biggest and the best, of course. <laughs> you know, if you're going to do something, you better go big because you know you're going to spend the same amount of time uh, chasing and, and, and developing relationships. So you might as well go for the largest opportunities you can, which is what we really focus on our, our uh, platform on for Red Swan. We feel that the average type of real estate investments that are under $10 million, many people have access to already, right? But these super towers you're seeing being built in all the major markets around the world most of those uh, are only exclusively for uh, institutional investors, right? So that smaller investors never really get a chance to play in that arena. And that happens to be the most the easiest and the most secure and less problematic uh, areas to invest when you talk about commercial real estate, because you have high powered sponsors, you have the best quality, you have the best financing. So they rarely have big problems. So you really can generate a decent return that uh, has very little risk involved. So that's why we are focusing on you know, mostly class A institutional quality properties that are multifamily, industrial, office, throughout the country. Uh, we think that's an exciting place to be. Okay. All right. So we're talking about um, really core assets and core markets, I would assume, is what you're really talking about. Exactly. You know, class A, core, core plus mm -hmm. uh, projects that are our minimum project we look at for equity raises $10 million list. Usually, an average value of a property of between thirty-five to you know hundred million dollars. Right, right. Okay, all right, got you. So, so what, what what's the actual process from that standpoint? Um, you mentioned obviously that you want strong sponsors, you want strong uh, teams, and everything else that has to be beyond behind these deals. That's pretty obvious if you're talking about a major core core plus asset. Uh, uh, well, let me ask this first of all: Are you doing any value add? I know you're not doing construction. What are you doing in your value-add plays if it's a project? Well, let me make a big distinction here, uh, Joel. We we are focusing mostly on recapitalization of assets, not, not the acquisition process. Okay. The acquisition process 
is usually a short timeline. Um, everyone's rushed. And we think that's not the place where we need to be because, you know, I would say two out of every five deals don't take. Uh, they just fall out for one reason or another. So for us to put a lot of our time into that and it may not happen, that's kind of a you know, waste of time for us. And we don't have that much bandwidth uh, with our current team. So we don't want to put time in areas that might uh, not be fruitful down the road. So with that said, we're focused on recapitalization of properties. Anytime a, a seller may be thinking about selling their asset because they're up against that timeline where the investors want to get out or they reach that level of, of, of profit where they think they'll get the best value and bring out their returns, that's a great time to call Red Swan because now rather than sell that, say, $50 million asset to net $10 million, uh, we can bring you like 80 uh, or $8 million or $9 million of that profit, and you continue to run that property as a GP. That's a lot better solution for a sponsor because they get to keep the asset under management, and they still have to they have opportunity to participate on the upside. So we like to recapitalize. We think that's a better uh, use case for our sponsors. But also, you mentioned uh, development projects. We do like development projects because that's another area that uh, we have time to operate, and I think it's important to be able to identify projects we really like. Uh, our requirement for developers is that they own the land so that if there is an asset to tokenize to begin with, and then they also have their own skin in the game, at least 10% of their equities in that asset, and it will help them raise the other 90% of the equity for that project. Okay, gotcha. And that other equity that comes in is basically GP equity, that other 90%? No, uh, actually, the 90% is LP equity. Okay. Uh, we let the GPs come in with their 10%. That'll be the GP equity. The other investors coming on board will be LP investors that are coming from the general public through Red Swan. And that could be family offices, that could be retail investors, accredited retail investors, or foreign investors. They may come in on that asset. Eventually, we'll be hopefully selling to institutions who or corporations want to buy into assets, but don't want to have. They want to have that liquidity factor when they buy in, so they're not stuck for a long period of time. And so eventually we'll see a lot of uh, institutions like um, Charles Schwab buying real estate shares from us as well. Right, right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So basically, um, and that's that's really the value because if you're bringing this money as LP capital and you're able to retire a lot of those investors, if you will, and and bring that those assets back under management or and and increase your amount of shares in the asset, uh, just puts you in a better position going on down the road because you don't have so much of that LP equity that you have to pay out on an annual basis. So it puts you in a much better situation from that standpoint. That's yeah, That is very true. Expensive. Yeah, so so a, a typical package for you would be the same as raising any other package that you take in the market for capital? You know, in other words, you're going to look for an OM and a performer and, and all that type of information? Yes, we would. We have to look at the OM, look at the financial statements. We can bet the project like we would bet anything else to make sure it's a, a sound investment. We bet the sponsors to make sure they have the experience to do or to manage that asset. We look at the yield that the asset is going to be produced. When we look at the performance as well to see if that's realistic. In times like today, with interest rates rising pretty quickly, you know, making this quick quick decisions to invest or buy a property. Uh, I think it's a mistake. You really need to pay attention to what's going on because as prices or cap rates, I say, are going up right along with interest rates, that means prices are actually coming down. Mm-hmm. So you want to be careful when you're jumping into an asset, you're not buying one that's going to actually you know, decrease in value. Also, if you're buying into office product where 
They may be stabilized today, but some of those leases are turning in the next two or three years. It could be a major change for the actual occupancy of the asset because many corporations are downsizing their space due to the, you know, the work from home aspect of COVID. So I think now is a really uh, interesting time for making investments in real estate and you know, doing your, your homework to vet these products and vet these sponsors is exactly what we put a lot of our time into. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a very good point because a lot of people are, you know, feeling that they're missing an opportunity. And you almost, especially in multifamily, I'm seeing a lot of it where it's almost this bidding war. Uh, and actually, they are bidding wars basically to try to get a particular asset. You know, it's the same situation that you have within the auction where just because somebody else bid a price for something doesn't mean you need to do it, right? So, exactly. Sometimes when you win, you may not be the winner, you might be the loser. You know? Right, right. So, exactly. uh, yeah, there, there's, there used to be a lot of that when interest rates were going down. Then, yes, we can see why people are bidding at assets because their price of capital is, is cheaper and they can pay more. And us, actually, as the cap rates go down and compress, the value of the asset goes higher. So a lot of gambling was taking place by just buying as fast as possible because they knew interest rates were being driven downward, right? right. The reverse effect is happening right now as interest rates are now increasing by 75 basis points each time. It's been over 150 basis points just in the past few months. So that has a strong effect on cap rates and pricing. So many people don't know this, but that's uh, something to pay attention to. Yeah, that, that's a very big point. And then also, if you still have inflation in, in products, because if you're doing a development deal, that can be another factor as well to really get you upside down real quick. So um, very, very good point to bring out here. What I want to do is go ahead and, and open up the line now to uh, questions and comments that you guys might have. Uh, you can either raise your digital hand or you can put those in the chat and we'll make sure that those we get those in for, uh, for Ed. I know some of these topics um, might be a, a little outside the scope of what you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, but um, what Ed is doing here is, is actually on the forefront of where the industry is headed. So this is one reason why I wanted to have you on. I mean, I know that, but I don't think everybody else does. Um, and, you know, another thing, Joel, is that what we're doing doesn't have to be such a high level. I think tokenization, the concept of it, uh, can be brought down to very, very simple projects uh, in local markets. And I think that, you know, just like we're doing this, other people can come and look at doing the same thing. People in the commercial real estate industry can start focusing on the digital market because there's a lot of opportunities uh, within that, from valuation, from issuance, from secondary trading. Uh, or just simply investing through dollar cost averaging. Think about when I was 10 years old, I was a paper boy trying to make money and I had capital I put in the bank. But just think if I would have taken $50 every month and thrown it into a piece of real estate when I was 10 years old, where I'd be today, right? And I think now people have the opportunity to do that. So it's not always you know, this high level activity that we're doing with Red Swan, but just in the basis of blockchain commercial real estate can do uh, change people's lives forever if they follow it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very, very good point there. Are there any assets that you're not touching at this particular point in time? Uh, we are kind of just staying away from assets that are below the threshold uh, that, that we put our time into, just in, only because of bandwidth, okay. right? We get a lot of people who um, send projects to us that uh, are new projects, their first time doing this, their ideas, you know, and we kind of stay away from that just because the vetting process usually turns out to be less uh, positive for, for them and also not for uh, a good qualification for our platform. So uh, I would say we turn down probably a third of the deals we look at. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's, it's not really asset class driven. 
it's more uh, the sponsor team sounds like what you're telling me. Yeah, it's product driven, the quality of the product, the location of the product. You know, investors have to identify with the property and identify with the location. If I said I'm going to do something in some you know remote part of Iowa, people in most foreign investors have never heard of it, they probably won't invest in that project. But looking at major cities like New York or Atlanta uh, or Houston. People understand those cities. They know the, 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 the vibrancy of those cities and more likely to invest both here in the United States as well as overseas. So we tend to look at projects we know are going to be um, uh, have an appetite for our investors. Gotcha, gotcha. What percent of investors would you say you're pulling in now from overseas? We have about 6,500 investors on our platform right now, and that's growing every day. I would say 40% of that is international investors from all over the world. And as we continue to market, we continue to bring properties to the, the marketplace, more investors keep registering onto our site. Okay. All right. Those are good numbers. Those are good numbers. So pretty, pretty impressive from that standpoint. I mean, Jerry had a, a question here uh, related to what are the downsides of tokenization? How would you answer that? Are there any downsides? What are the downsides? Downsides to tokenization. I can't think of any downsides because you're basically just taking an asset and dividing it into digital shares. You can still own all the digital shares you like, or you can share those shares by issuing other people want to invest. You can keep it similar as you are right now, which is basically a non-digital asset. But by digitizing, you just create more options for yourself and more visibility. So I don't see any downside risks. Even the cost to do it is not that expensive. And it also will hold with your asset for a lifetime. So once you digitize and go digital, just like you go digital with your TV sets to HD, you don't go back to analog, right? Because you know the quality is much better and the operation is much more efficient. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Let me ask this. What about um, you know fees as it relates to the marketplace comparing doing it this way as opposed to doing the deal uh, the more traditional way? How, how do the fees compare and stack up? Well, that's a great question. The fees are much less with digitization because we're not moving uh, whole assets. We're moving shares of assets, right? So we don't have to go to a title company and retitle the, the asset. It's already been titled to that entity and we're just now moving the shares. So that's one cost you don't have to worry about. The legal cost behind the title, you don't have to worry about. The broker who's selling you the asset, charging a fee, you don't have to worry about. We collect the fee from the sponsors. So when you buy your $50 or your $1,000 or your $50 million, it's going directly into the uh, capitalization of that asset and without any load fee on top of it. So I think it's just more efficient when you start looking at how much you save by buying just the shares that you want and be able to use that excess money to buy other shares of real estate uh, that may be in the same circle or the same uh, segment or even in another uh, real estate segment, like you're going into hospitality, you want to buy some office, you can really uh, diversify your portfolio with the same $250,000 or $100,000 that you're looking to invest, as opposed to now, you only have the option to invest in that one asset. Yeah. All right. Very good point. Thank you for bringing that out. So Mika Clark had a question. For the average person, where should we start with tokenization? I think you just uh, generate the amount of capital that you have in your discretion, your discretionary capital, whether it be, in our case, the minimum is $1,000, and you find an asset in your market or a market that you like, uh, an asset you can track, 
and buy a thousand shares of that asset. I mean, you can't go wrong because you're only a thousand share, probably less than a percentage of a percentage point of ownership. But you have a lot of institutional investors who are in that same asset with you, and now you can track the performance of that asset uh, along with these other quality investors and really learn from that experience. So I think getting into real estate is a learning process. If you don't know much about it, you've got to pl- be a player in order to really uh, get the best benefit. Yeah, yeah, that, that's actually the same answer I would have given. That's really the best way to start. Take what you got and just jump in the water and see what it's all about from an investor standpoint. And then once you understand it, you can maybe shift over to uh, being an investor, uh, you know, once you qualify at that level. So that, that's a very good point. For the uh, average person looking to raise capital, from what I've, I've been hearing, the, you know, just like what anything else, it does take time. People have to get a familiarity with the deal, which I guess is one reason why you look for more stabilized assets in certain key markets, because you have the track record and everything else that you can actually show investors. So from a capital raising time frame, uh, and I know this can be all over the place, but what would you say is kind of the average these days for raising capital from a time perspective? For us, it's roughly start to finish because we have it takes about 30 to 45 days to actually tokenize an asset uh, and finish that process because a lot of legal work involved, a lot of vetting involved. Uh, so let's say that's 45 days just to get stabilized as a uh, tokenized asset. And then we put it to the market. And that marketing process is about 120 days from when we announce it to the market coming soon to when we're closing it out. Uh, it's usually 120 days. And if it needs a longer time, then we roll out a little bit more time to make sure that all the investors get an opportunity. But even before we ask for capital, we usually have our members of our database are able to express interest in properties. So they can tell us uh, many projects on our site, which ones they like, how much they would like to put towards it. And we kind of keep a rolling database of uh, the number of investors surrounding every property on our website. And as we get to a point of 75% coverage, we're now going live to close it out because we know we have enough expression of interest amongst our investors. Okay. All right. That's a good point. So basically, you'll make sure that there's enough of a demand before you even make it available to the public. And all those, if you want to call it almost like an unlisted deal, are you taking those and they're actually doing those investments ahead of time and they're actually being able to invest before it goes to market or are you holding everything and kind of taking a subscription agreement before you actually uh, take it to market? Yeah, the latter. We're actually um, looking at these assets, getting our investors' input for uh, putting them on a, an Excel spreadsheet of what their level of interest. And you know, some people may commit, some people may back out of the commitment. But our fund is also looking to make an investment in these assets as well. So if we get to seventy-five percent, we think, well, okay, we've got pretty strong interest. Our fund may put in five or ten percent as well and close the asset out. So. Really, as the marketplace keeps growing, right now, 6,500 sounds distant, but it's still very small compared to the marketplaces that are established around the world. I think when we get to that 25, 30,000 uh, level of investors, we could probably close the deals out uh, within hours or within weeks because we already have so much demand uh, for particular investments. Also, you know, we have a family office division right now where we hired an executive just talking and confirming the uh, capital requirements of family office, what they're looking for. And because they write larger checks, we will bring those, those clients opportunities they want. That helps to capitalize the projects much faster. And then we can have our retail investors come in to close it out. So 
a lot of strategies we're using right now in order to make the process much more successful. Okay, okay. All right, sounds good. Tamika had a follow-up question here. Can you use funds in an IRA to invest in blockchain without any penalties? Yeah, for example, uh, Alta IRA allows you to use your uh, self-directed IRA fund to invest in one of our projects. So you would let them know they have to put it into a separate account uh, that's separate from your, your personal account. You have to have an IRA account. Uh, and then once they do that, now they can buy those shares and hold it into your IRA account. So if you want to liquidate those, you can do the same thing, but it depends on what rules and regulations regarding your IRA. Okay. All right. Tamika, hopefully that answered your question. So uh, if you need follow-up on that, just let us know. But that was pretty direct. Let me ask this also, Ed, just as regards, I know one of the things historically, and, and you can appreciate this uh, from your years in Cushman-Wakefield, the idea was always it's better to have a few large investors as opposed to a gazillion investors putting in $10 to uh, try to get a deal done, just because of the management of those investors. How have you found that to be? Uh, is that an issue or is that mainly why 75% of it is larger investors? I mean, speak to that if you don't mind as regards uh, how do you how do you manage that with the minimum investment of only a thousand bucks? Well, let me speak to that from the sponsor point of view, because that's one of the reasons why we started the company is to provide liquidity benefits to the sponsor. You're right. Currently, the large institutional investors are the first ones at the gate. They can write 20, 30 million dollar checks, they become your equity partner. And they allow you to build your project or allow you to buy this property and operate it and sell it in a certain period of time. But that money comes with a lot of sharp teeth. That money comes with a lot of terms and conditions that may not be very conducive to that sponsor. For example, money comes in early. They want their money out within three years. No matter where the property is, they can demand that that, that property be sold so they can get liquidity in three years. That means that a developer can build a project. Make, they might have some, some development fees they collect but make no profit and sell that off just so they can liquidate their investors. That means that they kind of wasted their time building that asset. And so we think that when you look at the retail side, retail customers don't have these types of demands and concerns. They want one thing. It's a good quality investment where they can, their money will be safe and also to get the returns that were promised to them. So having hundreds of retail investors is where Red Swan actually comes in as a benefit because these Hundreds or thousands of investors don't have to communicate with the sponsor. They're pretty much managed by Red Swan's platform. Uh And now people who are bus drivers in in Northern Africa can actually buy shares into a quality project in the United States and start earning dollar-denominated dividends as opposed to whatever their local currency is. And they might feel more comfortable with that investment. And so we think is opening the market is actually creating more supply for capital for sponsors as opposed to just limited to the institutions. Gotcha, gotcha. And you obviously haven't had any issues managing uh, these smaller investors that are coming in on the platform because you're pretty much using them as backfill in order to get deals closed out from what you were saying. Pretty accurate. Uh, well, sometimes they're backfill. Sometimes they're the primary investors. Okay. If, if they come on our site and we have 300 people showing interest in one project and that equals $15 million. Uh, without any major investors, that's still a win-win for the sponsor. And you know, also, you think about traditional investments, you know, there's a thing called capital calls, mm-hmm. which means that if you invest in a real estate project and it needs more money for one reason or another, uh, the investors are able to go back to the LP investors and ask for additional $300,000, for example, because they have a shortage in, in um, or increase in, 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 uh, in um, material costs, right? 
And if it was only three or four investors involved, that's a significant additional uh, increase in capital. But if you have 300 investors involved, that's like sending out you know, a notice for them to pay uh, $10 or $15 extra, which makes it a lot easier for them to recapitalize or uh, a capital call that's necessary for a project. So I think more investors is a lot better than few investors from the sponsor standpoint. And also from the investor standpoint, you think about like this, the more investors out there who have shares in this project, they're more apt to be buyers when you want to sell your shares in the project, as opposed to if you only have two or three institutional buyers, they're going to squeeze you again when you time the liquidity, right? They can wait for you to put your prior offer you a very low price for your shares. So your liquidity is only uh, based on one or two people's response, as opposed to a thousand people responding. Yeah, yeah. No, very good point. Very good point. So there's, there's definitely some value in spreading it around like that. You know, one other thing is, as you guys remember, if you have any questions, put those in the chat or raise your digital hand. We'll uh, make sure that we get to those before we, we wrap up today. But um, I did want to speak to something else that is is very rare. And, I, I, you know, kudos to you about this. Uh, you mentioned about your uh, automotive business that you started. You mentioned the Bay Area and everything else. There are so few minorities in tech out here today. So few. And for you to, to have run a successful business, to be able to raise $95 million for venture capital in order to get that thing off the ground and going, and then to have a, a successful exit is, is pretty good as well. How, how did you even get into tech? Because it seems like it's a challenge for so many other minorities uh, to even get into that space. You mind speaking to that a little bit? Sure. No, I think you're right. I think there's not enough minorities in tech. And I think there's a lot of opportunities. So we need to really start focusing on tech as a way to augment the current business we're doing, right? Every business we're into right now, whether you be a certified public accountant or lawyer or engineer or whatever you're doing, you, if you think about how tech can leverage that, uh, that could actually help you make more cash flow, make yourself more productive uh, as opposed to doing it the same old fashioned way. So whenever I look at an opportunity, I'm trying to think of how tech would make a difference even with Red Swan, we're still looking at ways tech can continue to improve what we're doing. For example, AI can continue to improve decision-making if you feed data and then we look at that data and then start massaging it, you start getting new direction on ways you can generate uh, or monetize income. So yeah, I encourage minorities to get involved in tech. I think that for me, it was um, an eye-opening experience because I had a golf buddy who was uh, a lawyer in tech and that's how we started our first company. He said, hey, this business model you have has some, I see some problems in it. And we described that problem and we say, we can create a solution uh, that made a lot of sense. And all we have to do now is start talking to some tech developers to actually build that solution. And voila, we now have something that we can share with venture capitalists, we share with uh, customers in the industry and make it successful. So tech is all about dreaming ideas to solve solutions. And I think most more of us need to start, you know, taking a pause from our day-to-day you know, jobs and dream about how tech can influence that job or influence something you really like to do. Because I really believe that, you know, having your own business is really backed by having the passion and drive about that business as opposed to just doing it for the money. Yeah, yeah, very good point. You know, it's um, it's really amazing because you're, you're right. There, there's a lot of things that can be disrupted, things that just irritate you on a day-to-day basis, you know, and to start thinking of, you know, it would be better if it worked this way or that way uh, certainly is of value. And you mentioned something else that was kind of a segue or is a segue into what I wanted to discuss next. 
And that's uh, the, the future of all this. Uh, obviously, technology and everything else is advancing extremely fast. Where, where do you see commercial real estate in five years uh, as it relates to, well, just let's say the industry as a whole? Because, you know, obviously you're on the, the cutting edge of this. You're kind of out there on that surfboard or on top of the wave. But um, where do you see everything? Or what would you like to see the industry look like in five years? I just want to make it easier and more accessible so that everyone can share in the wealth of real estate. Real estate has created wealth for many people. And the most wealthy people own at least 30 or 40% of real estate in their portfolio. So it's definitely the fastest way to generate wealth. And more of us need to figure out how to play that game. You know, where I see the industry, I think that it's going to move more from a B2B market where it is right now, where you know brokers and sponsors are selling properties to other brokers and other sponsors, and really the public private sector is not included. I see it moving to B2C, where you're not going to see as many properties being sold as a whole property. You're going to see more shares being sold to investors so they can get involved from around the world. Because when I was at Christian Wakefield, there was a strong demand from Asia investors who wanted to buy U.S. property. They wanted their money invested in U.S. property. But the problem they had was by the time they flew to the United States to survey these problem properties, uh, they went from city to city to see some of the options they liked and then flew back to discuss it with the, the management about making an offer. The property was already sold. So they never get a chance to really dig in and buy some of the quality projects on a time and level. So I started to survey that market by flying to Asia and introducing properties to them before they got to the market. And all of a sudden, I was bringing in a lot of business and became, you know, pretty successful doing that. But look at technology now. We've broken down all those barriers where uh, as long as they're on our, on our website and part of our platform, they can key in on their cell phone to get a notice of a new project that's, that meets their criteria for sale. And they can buy, you know, the minimum amount of shares of $1,000 or they can increase it all the way to, you know, three, $4 million. So, and they can do that within minutes uh, and have the transaction done. So it just alleviates a lot of the problem that they used to have and all the consolidation of syndicating money and then transferring to a title company and then waiting, paying all the fees for a lawyer and all these. Now they can push a couple of buttons and buy what they want. And I think that's where the future is headed for real estate. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Thank you for that. You know, I was thinking of something also, you know, as we start to wind down here, one of the biggest issues that we actually ran into in a deal was that there were some uh, Asian investors out of China and China, you know, they can ship real quick as regards wanting that money brought back home and, and divested from a lot of assets overseas. So have you seen where this model has benefited speaking uh, to Chinese investors and other investors that might be under the same type of, uh, of uh, regime when it comes to investing in U.S. capital? Well, you're definitely right about that, that the shift in the political system for China has now gone the other way where they're asking for many of the investors to divest from the United States. And so we are talking to uh, some of these uh, holders, these investors in U.S. properties that let's say they formed an entity that owns you know 20% or 30% interest in a property. We can take that entity, digitize it, and then offer it for, for sale for liquid liquidation purposes so that they don't have to wait for the sponsor to just sell the property in order to get out. And that's a significant tool that we are trying to launch uh, right now for a lot of Asian investors. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, no surprise there, I figured as much. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, absolutely appreciate that. So, um, all right, well, i tell you what, I, I think we covered everything I, I wanted to cover today. It's been a fantastic call. 
you know, again, if you guys have, as guests, if you have anything that you want to ask before we wrap up, I'm going to tell you right now, Ed is very hard to reach. So if you've got him on the phone here or on the line, you better take advantage of it because who knows when you hear from him again. So <laughs> it's not that bad, but I'll just put it. It's not that bad. I'm available. It's not that bad. Sometimes we talk about a topic that's, you know, difficult to, uh, to ask questions on because it seems like question might be a stupid question, but there's no stupid question. I think that in this business, learning as much as you can and doing as much as you can is going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of a, a good ending to, um, to what I want to ask you about as well is uh, what advice do you have for, you know, those that might be listening to this podcast? And uh, might want to know more about um, investing in digitized assets and and even moving their own careers forward because that's we get we get a lot of individuals that uh, are trying to figure out what they're going to do in commercial real estate if, if where they are right now is the end all be all. What advice or recommendations do you have for those ones? If any? Learn as much as possible. Dig in. I mean, make sure that part of your time in the day is reading articles that are taking place on digital assets and tokenization and blockchain. Follow the trends. I mean, look at you know, BlackRock buying into uh, Coinbase, look at these different major uh, corporations buying into blockchain. They're doing it for a reason, right? And to understand why, ask these why questions, I think will be eye-opening for you in terms of your direction and whatever business you want to go into that might incorporate the blockchain technology as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate that. And uh, there's one thing that I'm, I'm always reminded by the team that I have to do at the end of every call. If you've enjoyed this this podcast, you're watching it on YouTube, please subscribe or like it below. We would appreciate that. And uh, if you have any comments or gratitude for our guests coming on today, you can leave those in the chat as well. For all of y'all, if you've enjoyed the show, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, please feel free to tell your friends and subscribe. Um, and then we have some other exciting things that we'll be rolling out later in the year as we go into 2023. But um, Ed, hey man, it's it's been absolutely great. You know, I, I appreciate you calling out the time to do this. I, I don't think it, it's really registered to a lot of folks how impactful this really is, because it's really a change in a dynamic of doing things all together. You know, as you mentioned right at the beginning of this conversation, real estate is illiquid, and most people don't have the money to tie up chunks of money in real estate and wait for a return somewhere down the road. That's the beauty of it. Because now you can do that. You can get in and just like selling a stock to Robinhood or anything else, you can get that money out and do what you need to do. So uh, what you're doing is very impressive. You know, I, I appreciate you being a leader in this space. And, um, you know, please continue to, to do great things and, and inspire us all. Joel, thank you very much for putting me on the show. I appreciate the exposure, the questions. As usual, it seemed like a lot of fun. And you're right. I think most people don't know what's going on in this world of real estate tokenization, they kind of feel like it's not for them. So they relate, you know, sometimes people will go and buy cryptocurrency because that's easy, that's cheap. They can take a gamble. I'm, I'm gonna just take this $2,000 and gamble it on to cryptocurrency that and my uncle told me was great. Right? You know, that they can do that, but they can also take that same $2,000 and do their homework on the investment, what type of property they want, whether it be property in their backyard that they know, they see, they touch every day, or property in the areas that they really uh, appreciate and visit on a regular basis and invest, right? Because real estate continues to improve in value because it's a scarcity, right? There's not enough real estate on the earth to satisfy everybody. So therefore it will continue to improve in value, especially if you're in good locations. So I'm just leaving people with that, that it's not that hard to get involved in. It's just you know, a little bit of practice and do a little bit of research. 
Yeah, yeah, it might not be the fireworks of a, of a, you know, a cryptocurrency. From that standpoint, it's not going to go up 40% in a day. You know, you're not going to get that, but good solid returns over a period of time and, and real good core assets, which is what you're describing that you guys do on your platform is, is quite impressive. So excellent job. And uh, I just got this text from Chai. So we want to invite everyone to uh, continue to watch the podcast and share these with your friends and neighbors and subscribe and write a review on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you get your podcast from. So we certainly appreciate that. So Ed, it's been wonderful. I know you got work to do today. I do as well. So I'll let you go, but um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for calling out some time and uh, keep it to your word and coming on the, the podcast as you uh, promised you would. So thank you so much. And I certainly appreciate having you today. Thank you, Joel. You take care. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.